Church, where are you going in life? And who is leading you there? Where are you going in life? And who is leading you there? These are questions that I fear too often go unexamined, but are extremely important. The reason these questions are ultimately so consequential is because of of what's known as the 1 in 60 rule. Anyone familiar with this? The, The 1 in 60 rule is a rule of thumb in aerial navigation, which states that if a pilot is one degree off course, then after traveling 60 miles, they will be one mile away from their intended target. Okay? Now, the significance of this principle is that it shows us, and hence it warns us, uh, that the further we travel, the greater the impact that a simple one degree variation off on our course has on our ultimate destination, right? So, for example, if I'm only traveling one foot, uh, uh, being one degree off will cause me to miss my destination by only two-tenths of an inch, Right? Uh, Which doesn't seem like it would matter at all. But if I'm traveling from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles, California, and I'm I'm just one degree off course, well, then I'll end up 42 miles away from where I was intending to be. And if I wanted to travel from here to the sun, and I was a measly one degree off course, well, then I'd end up missing the sun by more than 1.6 million miles. The simple point being that the further you travel, the greater the impact that even a slight variation off course will create in your desired destination. Now, this dynamic played itself out a tragic consequence on March 28th in 1979, when a group of 257 people left New Zealand for a sightseeing flight to Antarctica. Their destination was the McMurdo Sound. But unbeknownst to the pilots, there was a two-degree error in the flight coordinates. And so by the time that the plane descended through the clouds, they were 28 miles off course. And rather than arriving in their intended destination, they crashed into Mount Erebus, a 12,000-foot-tall volcano. And every one of the passengers and crew who were on board perished. Just a degree or two off course can change absolutely everything about where you are going. So once again, I'll ask you, where are you going in life? And who is leading you there? These are questions that we're asking this morning as we continue in our Easter sermon series that we're look, where we're looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus that occur throughout the book of John. And in these I am statements, Jesus gives us images and pictures to help us understand who he is and what he's all about, which ultimately helps us to understand how his life comes to bear on our lives. So far, we've considered Jesus as the bread of life. And Jesus is the light of the world. Today we're going to cover two of Jesus' I am statements together. 
Partly because we only have six weeks to cover these seven I am statements. Uh, And partly because these two belong together as they are both presented within a single conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees. Now, the statements that we're considering today come from John chapter 10, where Jesus declares that I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And so this morning we're going to ask the questions, what do these statements mean? How do they fit together? And what effect do they ultimately have on the direction and destination of our lives? So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 10. As we consider together how Jesus is both the door and the good shepherd. Now first we're going to quickly look at what each of these statements mean. And for both of these declarations, Jesus in a sense explains to us what they mean by comparing them with what they are not. So the first I am statement that Jesus makes is found in verse 7 and in verse 9 when he says that I am the door and I am the door of the sheep. And the context of this statement is that Jesus has been using a shepherding analogy where he's describing a sheepfold, which is a pen or a shelter for sheep. The sheepfold was the safe place where the sheep would be brought at the end of the day where they could rest at peace and dwell in safety. In verse 9, Jesus likens this safe place to our salvation. Now, a sheepfold in those days was commonly made of stone walls with briars at the top of it, which would have served as an impediment to thieves who would seek to sneak, to sneak in and steal the sheep away, leaving the door to the sheepfold as the only proper entrance into this haven of safety. Yet in verse 1, Jesus acknowledges that the door wasn't the only way that people tried to access the sheepfold. When he said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And in that statement, Jesus acknowledges that there are lots of different ways by which people try and enter in to the sheepfold. And isn't that true? That there are all kinds of different ways that we as human beings try to gain access to the safety and the security and the comforts and the well-being and the blessings and to all of the good things that the sheepfold offers without actually entering in through the door of the sheepfold. I mean, think about how many people try to gain access to a sense of security through their savings account, right? That as long as they have enough money, everything will be okay. That's a different way to try and get into the security of the sheepfold. Or think about how many people believe that their comfort is procured through their possessions, right? If I just get this, or if I could only get that, then I'll have all that I need. That's a different way to try and get into the comfort that's promised of the sheepfold. And this list could go on and on and on, right? We seek to find our value 
in our vocations. If I work hard enough, I'll be somebody. Right? We try to find our rest in our vacations. If I can just get away, I'll be refreshed and restored. We seek to find our identity through our sexuality. My desires tell me and define for me who I am. Right? Everything that the promise of salvation offers to us, the joy, the peace, the health, the flourishing, the knowing and being known, everything that salvation promises as represented in the sheepfold People seek to obtain and to access through all kinds of other ways without going through the proper door. They want what's in the sheepfold without going through the sheep's door. They want the kingdom without the king. But in verse 7 and 9, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I am. And the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved and go in and go out and find pasture. Jesus says that he is the way and the only way to truly enter into the sheepfold and experience the blessings that it has to offer. This is a bit like Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount uh, from Matthew chapter 7 when he says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Here Jesus is acknowledging that that he is the small gate that leads to life. That there's only one way into the sheepfold. A thief or a robber might suggest that there are other ways in, other doors that that, that are available to access what it is that your heart really desires. But the thief only comes for destruction. His ways ultimately lead to your demise. Jesus, on the other hand, declares that he is the door and the only door by which the sheep can enter their haven and find everything that they desire and need. So in this first I am statement, Jesus says that he is the door for the sheep. Now, the second I am statement in this passage is found in verse 11, where Jesus declares that I am the good shepherd. And in this declaration, Jesus again explains what he is by contrasting with what he is not. And in this passage, there are two things that Jesus says he's not. And in the first 10 verses of John chapter 10, Jesus highlights the work of a thief or a robber. As one who intentionally comes to do harm to the sheep. Their only purpose, Jesus tells us, is to steal and to kill and to destroy. In contrast, Jesus says that he has come that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. So the first contrast Jesus makes is between the thief who comes to do harm and the good shepherd who comes to give life. And Jesus makes clear that the good shepherd is not at all like the thief. The second contrast Jesus makes in this passage is with that which he calls the hired hand. And this contrast begins uh, in verse 11 and following where Jesus proclaims, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. So here Jesus contrasts himself, uh, the good shepherd, with the hired hand. And the main difference between the two, Jesus makes clear, comes down to the sense of ownership. That those who are hired hands don't own the sheep. It's just a job for them. As a result, they don't really care about the sheep. And when danger comes, they run away in order to save themselves. The good shepherd, on the other hand, loves the sheep because they belong to him. And so rather than run away from danger, the shepherd puts himself in the way of danger and lays down his life for the sheep. Instead of saving himself, the good shepherd sacrifices himself. The good shepherd is not at all like the hired hand. And so in the end, the thief comes to do harm to the sheep, and the hired hand abandons the sheep. Neither of them care anything for the sheep. But the good shepherd is not like either of those. Instead of seeking to do harm, he seeks to give the sheep haven, And instead of saving himself, he substitutes himself. That is the good shepherd. He is the one who loves the sheep as his own, who calls the sheep by name, who goes before the sheep as he leads them to the abundance of the pasture and to the safety of the sheepfold, who leads them and guides them and protects them and provides for them. This is the good shepherd. And while both of these I am statements are profound in and of themselves, That Jesus is the door to the sheepfold, the access to the haven of heaven, that's amazing. And that Jesus is the good shepherd who who gives himself to direct and to guide and to protect and provide for us, his sheep. That's amazing, right? Those are amazing in and of themselves. But what's even more amazing is how these two identity declarations of Jesus work together and interact with one another. Because in the end, what we have in this passage is the image of a good shepherd leading his sheep to the door of the sheepfold so that they can be saved. Which means that Jesus, the good shepherd, is leading his sheep to Jesus, the door of the sheep, for their salvation. Or said much more simply, Jesus leads his sheep to Jesus. Or more succinctly and personal still, Jesus leads us to himself for our salvation. And this is ultimately what is so profound and so unique about Christianity, as opposed to any other religion in the world. For in every other religion, its leader always pointed to something beyond themselves. In Islam, Muhammad points to the law as a way to get to Allah. In Buddhism, Buddha pointed his followers to the noble eightfold path as a way to reach nirvana. In in moralism, adherents are pointed to their morality as a means for their justification. It's only in Christianity that the leader points to himself and says, I am. And the way. Follow me. Enter through me. It's not a plan that you have to do. 
It's not a process that you have to follow. It's not a set of precepts that you have to adhere to. It's a person that you have to know. That's why the message of the gospel is good news and not good advice. Good advice tells you what you have to do. Good news proclaims something that's already been done. Jesus didn't come to this earth to give us something to do. He came to do something for us. And when he died upon the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave for our justification, conquering sin and death, Jesus opened up to us the way to eternal life. He opened up the gate of the sheepfold. And so all throughout his ministry, Jesus was constantly inviting people to come and follow him. Like a shepherd, he gathered a flock and led them to himself so that they might have life and have it to the full. The good shepherd leads his sheep to the door of the sheepfold. Jesus leads us. To himself. And the reason that this matters, and that it's so important for us to understand, is because there are all kinds of thieves and robbers and hired hands in the world who, given the opportunity, would either intentionally or unintentionally lead us astray, away from the door of the sheepfold, and ultimately into danger. In fact, this entire passage of Scripture in John chapter 10 is a response to the Pharisees who were doing just that. In the previous passage from John chapter 9, Jesus had healed a man who was blind from birth. And the Pharisees cast that man out of the synagogue for becoming a follower of Jesus as a result. They were so focused on the law, which said that you can't heal on the Sabbath. That when Jesus then healed the man on the Sabbath, they couldn't see it as a work of God among them. Their focus on the law caused them to miss God's grace. And as a result, they tried to point the previously blind man away from Jesus. They pointed him away from the source of his healing and his help. And throughout the scriptures, we see this type of thing over and over and over again. The Pharisees were so close to getting it right. Their original aim was always God. But they were always just a couple of degrees off course. And in the end, that caused them to miss the very thing that they were aiming for. Isn't this the danger with every human being? And the scriptures tell us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. We are all ultimately after the exact same thing, that kingdom longing in our hearts. But over the course of human history and over the course of our lives, we so easily stray a degree or two here and there off of course. And in the end, if we're not careful, it's easy to end up nowhere near our original target. Crashing into unseen mountains instead of finding the haven of our intended harbor. And this is why we need to be careful who we listen to and who we allow 
to guide us in this life. Even within the church. It's easy to follow voices that lead us just a degree or two off course. Which can put us in danger of missing the door of the sheepfold entirely. I mean, think about how the evangelical church and the religious right have have gone just a degree or two too political. And as a result, have become too much about building power and building influence over their adversary in Jesus' name. In the end, that doesn't look anything like Jesus, who humbled himself and gave his power and his influence away and made himself nothing in order to serve his adversaries. Ultimately, they're missing Jesus, who was their original aim. Or think about the fundamentalist church that, like the Pharisees, is so focused on right living that it alienates and condemns those who most need the grace and the mercy of God. In the end, that doesn't look anything like Jesus, who ate with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. Ultimately, they're missing Jesus, who was their original aim. On the other side of the equation, there's the liberal church that's so focused on the love of God that they disregard the Scripture's instructions on holiness. In the end, it doesn't look anything like Jesus, whose first call to his disciples was a call to repent of their immorality, to deny their sinful nature, and to die to themselves. Ultimately, they're missing Jesus, who was their original aim. Do you see how being just a degree or two off course in the long run can cause us to miss our target all together? Church, there are all kinds of voices out there. In the churches, in books, in podcasts, in your social media feeds that often sound good. But you have to be careful that there's not a degree or two off here or there. Because if we're not careful in the end, it will lead us into all kinds of different destinations where we ultimately don't want to be. And this is why. This is why we need the good shepherd to be the one who leads us to the door. This is why we need Jesus to be the one who leads us to himself. Just as God said he would do in our Old Testament reading out of Ezekiel this morning. When the bad shepherds led the people astray, God said to them, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out and will rescue them from all of the places where they have been scattered. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down. Friends, there is one voice that we should listen to. Don't let it be the enemy who wants to hurt you. Don't let it be the hired hand who might lead you astray. Listen to the voice of your good shepherd. Listen to the voice of Jesus. Everything that he says to you in his word. Let him lead you and guide you to himself. Let his be the voice that you follow. Let his be the instructions that guide your path. Let his rebukes correct your errant ways. 
Let His voice be what reorients your life when you've gone astray. Let Him be the one who brings you back on course to Him. Let the Good Shepherd bring you to His sheep gate. For God's glory and for our good. Amen.